A lot of the world as we experience it is pretty normal. People are normal, places are normal, but if you travel a bit and start poking around, you can find some pretty weird stuff. There are places where superheated water just shoots out of the ground at regular intervals. There are giant blue holes in the ocean. There are places where the streets are made out of water. And there are museums dedicated entirely to replicas of people made out of wax. So that's this world, but as Swedenborg wrote, when we pass from the physical into the spiritual world, it's like going from a village into a great city. If that world really is so much bigger and bolder than this one, then you gotta wonder, how weird is the stuff that you can find there? Well, if you're willing to stick around, we're gonna answer that tonight. Stay tuned. Alright everybody, welcome back to another episode of Swedenborg and Life. Thanks for coming out on a Monday night. Really appreciate having you here. My name is Curtis Childs. I'm with the Swedenborg Foundation. I'm going to be the host. I'm going to help this thing move along uh, from place to place. In this episode, as per usual, questions, comments, get them in. We're going to have a live interaction at the end. We'll be talking about places in the afterlife. So if you have any questions about that or an experience that you've had or that you've read or that you've heard, we'd like to hear about it. We'd like to add yours to the mix. So a little bit of background. Generally, Swedenborg, who is what brings us all together here today, he was on a mission. When he was having his spiritual experiences and he was writing them down, it wasn't just a thing about curiosity. He had a particular message to deliver that would give people a way to live that would improve life for everyone in the human race, right? So today we're going to kind of throw that to the wind and just go for the weird little bits of it. You know, he would, and sometimes he would do this, like oh, you to draw people close to the material, here's something weird I saw, or here's something fascinating, or interesting, or mysterious, or confusing, or intriguing. And we're taking those bits today and stringing them together to kind of give you a, a tour of sort of the corner, little corners of the spiritual world. Because if we've got this physical world, and it's as interesting and complex as it is, it can't be that the whole spiritual world is clouds with harps. Right? There's got to be the same kind of diversity and the same kind of counterintuitive stuff that you wouldn't think is lurking out there, okay? All right, so that's how it's set up. We're going to go now into the recorded experiences of Emanuel Swedenborg to see how weird can it get, what kind of stuff can we find. So let's kick it off in the rainbow heaven. All right, so a while ago, uh, we did a series of short videos on this channel that was called As Described by Swedenborg. And it's where we took, when I found a uh, you know, quote or a segment that I thought, this, this is interesting enough, I just want to have it stand on its own, the text, and I want to read it, and we're going to illustrate it. Uh, we did a few of these when we felt like it had a particularly fascinating passage. So the, we're going to play you a little clip. It's just a minute long. We entitled it The Air in Heaven when we made it. And this is sort of a montage of atmospheres, as he call, as is translated now. Different kinds of, yeah, uh, whatever it is, bits of of air or like atmospheres or or um, auras sort of that he experienced in different parts of the spiritual world. So we're going to play the clip for you now and then in the afterwards we're going to focus on one particular aspect of it. So in case you were wondering, here's what the air is like in heaven. I start with the atmospheres that the blessed live in, which are made of light because they rise out of the light there. The number of different kinds can't be counted and they are so beautiful and pleasant that they can't be described. 
There are diamond-like atmospheres that flash in their most minuscule elements, as if they were made of diamond pellets. There are atmospheres that resemble the gleam of all kinds of gems. There are atmospheres seemingly made of translucent pearls, glowing from within, streaking the air with the most brilliant colors. There are atmospheres of fire with gold, it seems, or with silver, or with diamond-like gold and silver. There are atmospheres composed of multicolored flowers, so small they can't be seen. Countless variations on this type of atmosphere fill the heaven where small children live. In fact, one even sees atmospheres composed of what seem to be children at play, again at a size that is too small to see but can be perceived, although only by the deepest power of thought. This gives young children the idea that everything around them is alive and is part of God's stream of life, a thought that gives them a feeling of happiness in their inmost being. So in case you didn't quite catch it, at the end there he said that the atmosphere is composed of what seem to be children at play. What does that mean? We tried to represent it visually. Before that, you had an atmosphere composed of flowers. So this is not just like, oh, there's a blue sky and there's a green sky. This is something about some kind of microscopic, like holographic, like you can see the, the biggest parts and the smallest part, all kinds of interesting stuff. And that's just as he lists it there. Um, but he goes into a lot more detail, particularly about this, the rainbow heaven that he describes. And I there was a, a book called Swedenborg's Garden of Theology that, that Dr. Jonathan Rose wrote, where he is just kind of outlining Swedenborg's principles, and he had this segment of uh, spiritual oddities or something like that, sort of what we're doing in this show, and he included this one because it's so, uh, it's just kind of tucked away in there, but it's this very fascinating piece of information. So this is Swedenborg going into some detail about what he calls the rainbow heaven, and he does this in Secrets of Heaven 1623. In Secrets of Heaven, uh, the series in general, he just has these little uh, tangents that he goes on that he, at the beginning and ends of chapters where he just focuses on a particular topic. So this is what he says. As for rainbows, there is a kind of iridescent heaven in which the whole atmosphere seems to be made up of tiny rainbows, one after another. The people who live there belong to the region of the inner eye and are stationed off to the right, out in front, and a little bit up above. So there's something weird, and you would probably have to go check out our episode that's called The Shape of Heaven to know what he's talking about, but essentially, everyone in the spiritual world relates to a certain part of the human form. So the people that live in the rainbow heaven are in the region of the inner eye. Is that weird enough for you? Okay, cool. The entire atmosphere there, all the air, consists of these gleams of light and therefore radiates out of each individual beacon, so to speak. A much larger rainbow, compounded of similar smaller ones that are exquisite miniatures of the big one, forms a gorgeous belt around the outside. Each color, then, consists of many, many rays, so that millions of rays make up a single, all-inclusive rainbow visible to the eye. The rainbow is a modification of the points of light, a modification produced by the heavenly and spiritual forces that create the rainbows and in the process present before the observer's eye a picture full of representative meaning. And stay with that representative meaning, as he says it, um, because that comes up a lot, that essentially all this strangeness isn't just for strangeness' sake, it's got a meaning, and it's representing something. Okay. Once a large-scale rainbow appeared before me so that I could learn from it what rainbows are like at the smallest scale. There was a brilliant white light with a kind of belt around it. At the core of the belt was something dim and earth-like, surrounded by a bright radiance. 
The radiance was dappled and broken up by another kind of light containing golden star-like sparkles. Other changes occurred when flowers of different colors, here comes those flowers again, when flowers of different colors entered into the bright radiance. Colors produced not by white light, but by a fiery kind of light, meaning like a reddish, orangish kind of light. Again, all of it represented heavenly and spiritual qualities. So these will be qualities in a person. In the other world, all visible color represents something heavenly or spiritual. Colors that partake of fire represent aspects of love and of a desire for what is good. Colors that partake of white light represent aspects of faith and of a desire for truth. So it's not just like, let's try to make something really beautiful or really bizarre. That this, that he's saying everything, all the mechanics of the stuff in heaven is driven by this system of representation. You have the, the kinds of light, the color of light represent the spiritual and the heavenly side, which essentially the spiritual side is sort of the cognitive wisdom side of things, and the heavenly side is the love or emotive side of things, and that these are the two um, great aspects of God and from God of human beings and, and of heaven. So, it's all there for a reason, all right? Um, and ev- everything, even he's talking about little flowers that come in, you know, these these little human elements, it all means something, all right? So he goes on to describe the rainbow heaven. All colors in the next life come from these sources, and th- these sources being the representation that, that's at the base of them, and therefore gleam so brilliantly that colors in this world cannot be compared to them, which is a, oh, he goes on to say, there are also colors that have never been seen in the world, and you, that's a pretty common thing in near-death experiences to say the colors are more vivid there, and there's colors there that you don't see here. It's unbelievable, because what color, you know? Anyway, something, believe it. A rainbow shape with something grass-like and green at its center also appeared, and I sensed a kind of sun off to the side, out of sight, gleaming and giving off a light so bright that it cannot be described. Notice how many times he says it cannot be described. At the edges were the most beautiful variations of color possible, in a luminescent pearly field. These and other experiences showed me what a rainbow is like in its smallest components. They also showed me that there is no end to the number of variations, which depend on neighborly love and the resulting faith in an individual who sees them represented. That individual, in turn, looks like a rainbow to others when presented to their view in all her or his beauty and glory. So, a couple of things. First of all, he's saying this, he's still on a mission. Even, it's not just, wow, that was a great trip. It's, hey, I'm learning about what the nature of these rainbows are in their smallest elements. This is shown to me for a reason. He'll often have an experience and remark on why it was shown, that there's a sort of a, an overarching goal to all of it. And then, at the end, did you catch that? He says, a person looks like this, this, this mass of color, all that complexity he was describing, seen in the right way, we can look like that if we have this love and this truth shining through. So that's the rainbow heaven. And now, you know, rather than us trying to draw a picture of it, you know, we put it there for your imagination. So that is one thing Swedenborg experienced out there in the great beyond. But it's not the only thing, as you can see by our little... Uh, timeline here. We got a lot of stuff to get to. So let's move on from the rainbow heaven to the five lights. Excuse me, sorry. So we talked a little bit about light there in the rainbow heaven and the meaning and the light having a function or a symbolic function is a big deal and it, it nowhere evidenced more clearly than in this the following story which comes out of Swedenborg's true Christianity. So here it is. From far away I saw five halls. 
Each one was surrounded with light from heaven. The first hall was surrounded with crimson light, like the light in the clouds just before sunrise on earth. The second hall was surrounded with a yellow light, like the light of the dawn after the sun has come up. The third hall was surrounded with a bright white light, like the light in our world at midday. The fourth hall was surrounded with a half-light, as when daylight begins to mix with evening shadows. The fifth hall stood in the shadow of evening itself. On the roads, I saw people on horseback, some in carriages, some walking, and some running and hurrying. The people in a hurry were headed for the first hall, the one surrounded in fiery light. You can kind of, you can kind of guess. Okay, the hall that's in shadow, probably what's going on in there is not as enlightened, you know, as the other ones. That word, he said, we, words like that come from our innate knowledge of this sort of, the, the meaning of light. So here we have these different halls, which these are both on the intelligence side, like a, a temple or a hall or whatever he's talking about is a symbol of an intellect. And, you know, people would go there to learn things or discuss things. And then the, it's also got these different kinds of light shining on it. And in those, the, you know, the light is a representation of what's going on in the, the inner light in people's minds in the spiritual world. So that's what gives the halls their color. So here's a little more from it. Uh, this is from True Christianity 459. He describes what they're talking about in the, in the hall with the fiery light. Upon my seeing all this, a longing to go there and hear what they were discussing took hold of me and urged me in that direction. I quickly got ready and joined the people hurrying to the first hall. I went in with them. Just picture the huge crowd inside. Some of them were heading to the right and some to the left to sit on seats arranged along the walls. Near the front, I saw a low platform. The man who was the chairperson for the event was standing on it with a staff in his hand, a hat on his head, and a coat that was dyed the color of the hall's fiery light. After people had gathered, he lifted up his voice and said, Friends, today we are discussing what goodwill is. So, if you want to hear what they had to say about goodwill, you know, you saw the number there. You can download True Christianity for free. He goes into extensive detail what they were discussing in there and the kinds of conversation they have in the spiritual world. He had to translate it into regular people words, but it's all symbolized by the different lights around it. And that everything, like he's talking about a guy with a staff and a hat, those all have meaning. The, 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 the spiritual world is the world of imagery and of symbolism. So every, if, you know, if you know how to read that, you can understand what's going on, the quality of that kind of stuff. So that's what he was saying was going on there. All right, so we've there's all these different halls, and there's like a shadowy one. So we're gonna there's a lot of shadowy stuff in the world that Swedenborg saw. Obviously, his most uh, well recognized book is called Heaven and Hell. So it's not all sunny rainbows uh, and and lively discussion there. So let's take a look at um, some minds that have less light or are shutting out the light that's coming in, and we're going to do that in our segment we're calling The Dust Collectors. All right, so again, we're going to show you an experience that Swedenborg described in pretty great detail uh, about a journey that he went on. He was, you know, we, we begin the story, he's already having a spiritual experience, which he was doing, like, daily, according to his records, um, and he's with a couple of angels, and they start to get an urge to go see something, all right? So that, that's where it picks up, and this is all Swedenborg's words describing this encounter, and we'll talk a little bit about what it means after we hear it. So here is the story of the dust collectors. 
After that, a strong desire came upon the two angels and me to see people whose love for the world has brought them to a, a craving in visual form, or fantasy, that they possess all the wealth in the world. We perceived that they were inspired with this desire so that we would know more about this type of person. Since their living quarters were not in hell itself, but were above it, just under the ground below our feet, we looked at each other and said, let's go down there. An opening appeared with steps leading down. We descended by them. We were told to make our approach from the east shadow, both intellectually and visually. We came upon a house that was made out of reeds. There were cracks in it everywhere. It was surrounded by a fog that constantly poured out through the cracks in three of the walls like smoke. We went inside and saw 50 people sitting on long benches on one side and 50 on long benches on the other. They were turned away from the east and south and were facing west and north. They all had tables in front of them. There were bulging money sacks on the tables and a great quantity of gold coins around the sacks. Is that all the money in the world? We asked. No, they said, but it is all the money in the nation. Their speech had a hissing sound to it. Their faces were round and as red as a snail's shell. The pupils of their eyes were gleaming and the rest of their eyes were green an effect caused by the light of their fantasy. We stood in their midst and asked, do you actually believe that each of you, we said, there are a lot of you. They replied, each of us knows all the money is mine. We are not allowed to think and certainly not allowed to say what is mine is not yours. We are allowed though to think and say what is yours is also mine. Even to us, the coins on the tables seemed to be made of pure gold. When we let in light from the east, though, they turned out to be just grains of gold that the group had enlarged through a united effort of visualization. They said that each person who joined the group had to bring in some gold. They would cut that into small pieces and then cut the pieces into individual grains. Then, through the single-minded power of their visualization, they would expand each grain into a larger coin. So we're sort of following the power of light. You notice at the end it says, we let in light from the east. And the directions mean something as well. As we mentioned in a, a, couple, a couple shows ago, we were talking about spiritual direction. Um, so the light, it, when the light from the east wasn't in there, everything, it looked like, oh, it had so much gold. When you let the light in, you saw things as they really were. So there you have a little bit of um, the nature of the hellish mindset or of this sort of enclosed... Uh, self-focused, um, not focused on use or helping, but on possessing, right? So you start to see sort of the life that that creates. Um, and there's there's more I want to say on that later, but for now, that I just it's also just a very interesting, fascinating parable, sort of these people that are in the in this hut together, and they imagine they have gold, and you see it's sort of like a, a session thing, like you you come in for a little while, oh this is really great, and then you leave, you know, the, like that's how you get your kicks, and there was these rules on it though, like Swedenborg says that people who are in evil, you know, God is trying to let them be as happy as they can without letting them get any worse. So then you notice the people at the table, they're not allowed to say what you have isn't mine. They can say what you have is also mine, you know, so they can't try to take everyone's, even though even if they want to, there are certain restrictions so they don't plunge farther and farther in, into being consumed by this. So that's the story of the dust collectors, and we'll, uh, we'll return to another side of that in a minute. All right, so we've seen a couple of strange places, but there's another strange place that's going to be a place for all of us 
if you believe Swedenborg, when we show up in this world, and that, that strange place is your house. So let's take a look at it now. All right, and how would I know this about your house? Well, I don't know. I don't know the particulars, but Swedenborg does describe sort of a general formula for people coming into their spot. As we were saying, distance is relative. Um, everything is symbolic. There's a particular place. Not that there's distance like there is here. There is sort of um, this, this continual map where everything is relating to, in placed in relation to everything else based on similarity or dissimilarity of affections. So there is a spot where all of us belong because of who we are, because of what we love, and there's interesting paths we take to get there. And Swedenborg describes it, this is from True Christianity 6.22, and this is out of uh, sort of some experiences that he had had, um, where he, you know, he'll do this, he calls it memorable relations, uh, where he, that's how it's translated, where he'll just describe a, a scene. Um, so, this is something that he'd seen based on a lot of experience. People's preparation for heaven occurs in the world of spirits, which is midway between heaven and hell. Once the time of their preparation has come to an end, they are all seized with an intense longing for heaven. Soon their eyes are opened and they see a pathway to a community in heaven. They take this pathway and make their ascent. At the top, they come to a gated entrance with a guard. The guard opens the gate and allows them in. And so this isn't going to be for every single person. It's exactly the same, but he's describing sort of a general way this goes. Then someone stops them for questioning and passes on word from the governor that they are to go farther into the community and look around to see whether there are any homes there that they recognize as their own. There is a new home for every newly arrived angel. If they find their home, they stay there and send a report back to that effect. If they do not find a home there, they go back and say they did not see one. In that case, a wise person explores whether the light, we're talking about light again, the light they have agrees with the light in that community, and especially whether the heat they have is the same. In essence, the light in heaven is divine truth, and the heat is divine goodness. So people are examined to see sort of the... uh, you know, the, does your, the nature of your internal sort of essence uh, match up with that. He goes on in True Christianity, again, with more. Both of them emanate from the Lord, who is the Son there. So this would be both uh, divine truth and, and divine love. If the new arrivals have a different light and heat than that, the, than, the com, than that community has, that is, if they have a different truth and goodness, they are not accepted there. They leave and travel along pathways that are open between communities in heaven until they find a community that is in complete harmony with the feelings in their hearts. That is their home forever, because there they are among their own people, who are like relatives and friends that they love with all their hearts because they share the same passions. There they experience the happiness that makes them most alive, and their heart fills with delight because their soul is at peace." The intense pleasure of the heat and light of heaven cannot be expressed in words. Again, cannot be expressed. Angels share that joy with each other. So, that's sort of, you go in and you, is, are any of these houses mine? And you can tell what's yours because that's where your heart fits. This is the passion that's around here, that what people love, the meaning of their lives, this is in harmony more than anywhere else. It's not like you don't like the rest of heaven. It's just that this is where I fit. And, and a lot of where you fit is where you can do the most good for everyone else. So it's certainly not like heaven under these little gated communities that aren't communicating, but there's a place that's your home, and you can go visit, but you come back to your home 
and that's that's what you feel and we experience a similar thing in this world you know so there is there is this but but it fits you even better and the house in particular is not just well this is a nice one it was in my price range this it suits you specifically and swedenborg describes this more in detail here this is from heaven and hell number 190 the houses angels live in are not constructed as houses in our world are, but are given them by the Lord gratis, to each individual according to his or her acceptance of what is good and true. They also change slightly in response to the changes of state of their deeper natures. So your house changes, the, the, the structure, the things in your house changes to match the things in your mind. Like, like home upgrades, oh, I want to get the kitchen redone, but whatever corresponds in the mind is how that stuff is upgraded. And you see, as we like to mention, a dream psychology, that kind of stuff, the house is generally a symbol of the mind. So as the mind changes, the external things in the spiritual world are a representation of the internal things. So as what's in your heart and your mind changes, what's out there in your house, in your yard, or whatever changes to suit it. Uh, And so he goes on to describe a little bit of the kinds of changes that are affected, how a mind shows up in a house. For example, this is from Heaven and Hell 489, if people have given the divine credit for everything and regarded nature or the physical world as relatively dead, simply subservient to spiritual concerns, and also when he's talking about nature, subservient to spiritual, he's talking about sort of the outer kind of ego stuff serving higher purposes. If they have convinced themselves of this, they are in heavenly light. And everything that presents itself to their eyes derives a kind of translucence from that light. In that translucency, they see innumerable shadings of light that their inner sight seems to drink directly in. This is how they perceive deeper pleasures. So there's this relating to this imagery. And we ha- he goes on to describe exact, uh, more on what that, that's like, so we made a quick clip of that here. The objects in their houses look like diamonds with similar variegations of light. I've been told that their walls look like crystal and are therefore also translucent, and that within them one can see what looks like fluid forms representative of heavenly things, again with constant variety. This is because this kind of translucence corresponds to an intellect that has been enlightened by the Lord. Corresponds to an intellect that has been enlightened by the Lord. So one of the, the primary features of the spiritual world is that things that, we, that are relatively ineffable here, that we have uh, not a lot of concrete sense of. I'm talking about an an enlightened intellect, uh, certain kinds of feelings, thoughts, stuff we consider internal phenomena, that can be be concretely, uh, tangibly represented in the spiritual world and is automatically. Those are the laws of the spiritual world. So you have, when when you're letting this divine truth through your mind, you know, just like a window would, the the walls in your house take on this um, sort of amazing uh, teaching kind of quality, and as you were saying in the number before, the, the mind just drinks that in, and that's just like this really awesome connection there. All right, so that's your house. Of course, that particular one isn't your house. Your house will suit you just right, so if you're like, I don't want that wall, that doesn't look cool, you will have what looks cool. That's the nature of the machine. So anyway, I just thought that was interesting that there's, and also the process of getting in there is interesting as well. And that's what we're trying to do this episode, look over interesting things. Okay, so we've seen that. Uh, Why don't we go take a look at the city of London now, as Swedenborg described. So something strange about the spiritual world that Swedenborg describes is the 
familiarity of it, that there are things in it that wouldn't look that out of the ordinary to us in this world. And not just, though, oh, there are towns sort of like the towns here. The the reflection is a lot closer and a lot more one-to-one than that. Swedenborg describes it in his Journal of Spiritual Experiences. This is 5092. He says, There appear with spirits, so in the spiritual world with, with people who have died who are now spirits, cities similar to the cities in the world. Hence, they have London, Amsterdam, Stockholm, and the rest. The reason that it is so is because every man in the world has, so all of us, has with himself spirits who are in the other life, and these possess the interiors of the man, therefore all things of his memory. They do not indeed see the world through his eyes, but still they see it inwardly in him from his ideas. Hence the ideas of similar houses, buildings, streets, and cities appear to them, and they so appear that it is as if they they were the places themselves. Of this appearance a fuller statement may be made elsewhere. Hence it is that spirits who are with men belonging to one city have the idea of that same city. Again, pretty weird. The idea is we're in spirit we're in physical community with each other on this planet, but then we're also since we are people with a spirit as well as a body, we are in spiritual community even if we don't know that. He's saying that there are spirits who are with us. They're not seeing the world through our eyes, but they're affected by what we know. The things in our memory and in our experiences affect them. And, and to the extent that the cities we build here can show up in their world through thought transfer of some kind, right? Hopefully you're getting your money's worth uh, since you clicked on this looking for interesting stuff. I mean, that is the, the, the cities are being architected through this kind of flow here. But not only that, there are multiple versions of the cities based on the different kinds of minds that are involved with them. That's why we call this Good London, Bad London, because Swedenborg described two different cities that were like the city of London here, but with differing characteristics. So the first one we're going to look at is a city like London that appeared, uh, it's more toward the positive side, but not all the way up, and it was something that appeared in the world of spirits, which, as he said, is halfway between heaven and hell. So here is his description of London number one. I was conducted in a wakeful state into a city situated on a rock and was led about. That city was altogether after the fashion of London. The streets were similar, the houses were similar, the open places were similar. Thus it was similar from one end to the other, and I inquired who dwelt there. It was said that they were Englishmen from London. The city was very popular. It is also their custom to give keys to strangers, which are signs that they were received. Wherefore also such magistrates are set over them as they esteem, and whom they therefore obey in all things according to their natural custom. By this means, all who are in that city are kept in restraint, in unanimity, and in society, and are ruled. It was also observed that those who are in cities in the other life can travel through their own city, even when extensive, in a few minutes. For when they think concerning distant places in the city, they are, by means of their thoughts, presented there as if present, although they are in a distinctly different place. Thought there occasions such presence. It also happened so with me. 
So he knows from experience. This happened when I was in the spirit, I could travel like this. And this gets back to what we were discussing before. Spiritual distance has to do with similarity of affection and thought. So thought can can bring you places. That's how it works. Just like in, you know, in your, we try to encourage kids to read books and, and travel to different distant places in their minds, right, through imagination, that the mind is the spirit. So a world of the spirit incorporates these kind of... Uh, this this sort of you can think about something and be there that's much more literal there so that was that was a london he described it's not like a city in heaven you know it's because he's talking about how people have to be ruled and and kept in order sort of like we have on earth right that you have to have laws and, and and government to keep people in line but it was overall a relatively pleasant place and he had some interesting details about the people there giving keys to people as sort of a symbol again spiritual world very symbolic here you go here's a key you know, you're, you're cool, you're accepted. We give keys here, but it's a little different. You know, you, you want to hear, you want a dog sit at my house, here's a key for a little while. But but similar symbolism, cause, because the reason we have objects that function the way we do in our world is because of their spiritual significance. Anyway, that's London number one. But he describes, immediately after that, he describes another city of London with a, with a different feel and a vibe to it. So here it is. That city about which I have spoken above was situated on a rock at the left. There is also another city of London, which is situated in a plain on the level of the sole of the foot, a little to the right. Here too are Englishmen, and the city is according to the pattern of London. I was there also, and likewise wandered through several of the streets, but no one appeared in the streets. They do not go out except by permission. Men are plundered there. In the middle of the city are the evil, and in the circumference, successively, the good. Sometimes they who are in the middle there appear to sink down, and sometimes those who are there are then overwhelmed. But sometimes that city, with its buildings, sinks and again emerges, and then a few who are very bad are swallowed up. In this way that city is preserved from the contagion of evil. I saw the subsidence in the middle, and the emerging. It was like a flood subsiding. So the city itself is providing this function of... So obviously, it's not a great scene there. People can't walk out in the streets. Uh, you know, there's crime. These people are plundered. But there's a sort of function of trying to keep the city from becoming too evil. So that people... Just like in our world, to try to keep cities from becoming too evil, we have jails. And we take people, and sometimes rightfully, sometimes wrongfully, we put them in jail. You know, we get them out. We put them in different places. We establish laws and boundaries. And they are... It's similar processes. They're happening in a much more intense way because of the nature of the spiritual world, the whole middle of the city sinking down and coming back up. But it's all to provide some kind of order and to keep keep the whole thing from from being overthrown so everything dealing with evil is as we were saying in the other one is trying to make it so it won't get worse you know so even there it's not like everybody's taken away right away they're trying to okay here you can have a city there's laws imposed so that there's the least amount of harm possible okay you're causing so much trouble you can't be here we got to take you down even farther but there's always this effort to to provide organization and relative safety, even where people are, are intent on this sort of hellish mindset, right? So there's the the cities in the middle, they're sort of trending up, trending down, and we go on this journey where we go to these diff- different kinds of areas depending on what direction we want to head, and we either can stay or go lower and lower or higher and higher depending on what we love. 
So that's the scene. So we're going to go lower before we go higher here, okay? Because the next one is our last spooky, weird place. And it's, it's definitely a lot of both, all right? So let's take a look now at Hell's Cask. All right, so this is the story of a giant vat or cask. I, I, when I was reading the word in his Journal of Spiritual Experiences, I called up a translator to try to figure out what is he talking about because it's translated vat or any or hell's cask, and what does it look like? It's a giant container. That's what it seems to be. We looked into sort of like the Latin root of the word and, and how it was used back then and everything. So. Whether it looks exactly like a, a container like we're depicting it or whether it's something similar to that, it sure does. Sound, he, he talks about it having a lid. It sounds like a container. And again, you know, there's all these different levels of appearance. You'll notice he says, it seems to them they're living in a, doesn't, you know, it seems different to different people. The people that were collecting that dust, they thought they had all this gold, but when you showed the real light, it was just dust. So this is how it seems to people in this state. So here we're going to take a look a little bit at, um, you know, people who are getting pretty absorbed into this this hell mindset and, and what what kind of life they imagine that they have. So here's Hell's Cask. There are some dishonest people who think they can get anything they want by trickery and schemes, and whose success at this kind of fraud during bodily life has confirmed them in their belief. They see themselves as living in a kind of vat called Hell's Cask, off to the left. The vat has a lid, and outside it, on a pyramid-shaped stand, is a globe that they believe to be the universe, which they watch and control, or so it seems to them. When they are released, their hallucinations cause them to imagine that the universe is a globe, which they walk around and trample underfoot, believing themselves gods of the universe. I have seen them several times and talked with them about their fantasy, but since they thought the same way in the world, they cannot be weaned from it. I have also perceived on occasion how subtly, how craftily they can twist another's thinking, instantly redirect that person's thoughts, and substitute other ideas. They are so sly about it that it was hard to tell they were the ones doing it, and the way they do it is quite incredible. As this is their nature, they are barred from all contact with people on Earth, for they inject quantities of venom so secretly and stealthily that no one can tell they have done it. So you have, there's a lot of stuff in there I want to talk about. First of all, you have, this is a, a hell of sorts, but you see, he's saying they're barred from interacting with people on Earth because of the harm that they would cause. So this is about preventing harm. Uh, that, that's, that's important because there are ideas of hell that it's about torture and revenge. Right, that 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 that's hell is you were bad on earth, so you're getting punished and punished. This is about re- reduction of harm and keeping people from getting worse. So uh, th- you see that there's the people that are in there are grouped by their desire to deceive people and their the how often they employ that technique. That's how you get yourself into something like that. You know, that it's about mindset, and that the mindset is what creates this sort of trap that they're living in. But but they don't have to be in it all the time. They sometimes get let out, and Swedenborg can talk with them. He said everybody, even people who are so wrapped up in, in living this insane life, you can still talk with them, and Swedenborg says, why are you guys doing this? This is crazy, and they, they just, but they just, oh, we can't help it. This is just how we were, and that a life of 
of acting on evil and deception sort of corrodes the mind to the point where you it's very hard for you to snap yourself out of it, or very hard for you to want to snap yourself out of it. And I wanted to show this this particular um, <clears throat> one as well because we sort of in our two um, our two videos the the dust collectors and this one we see sort of the the two major uh, roots of hellish behavior, which Swedenborg calls love of self and love of the world. And love of self, that sounds like, you're supposed to love yourself, what's so bad about that? But the way he uses that terminology is different. He's talking about um, love of self is love of control. It's only thinking about yourself and everything. You don't care how how much you harm people, you just want what you want. And actually, love of self, when it's let out of its bonds, you know, when, when there's no inhibition, it wants to rule people, it wants to harm people, it wants to, it wants to replace God as uh, taking everything in the universe and bringing it uh, to serve you. And you see this in people live in very destructive ways when they only care about themselves. The other love of the world is a love of, of wealth or of gratification, you know, of, of pleasure in different forms. So here you have people who are absorbed in love of the world, they're pouring over this money on the table, imagining this is all, all, this is all the wealth in the country and it's all mine. And these people who are absorbed in love of self are pouring over this globe that they have and they're imagining this is the whole universe and I have power to trample on this thing, and, you know, and crush everybody. And that's what they want to do with their time. So that's what, that's your career path if you're getting too deeply into these kind of loves, which is, I said Swedenborg had a mission before when he was writing all this stuff, and the mission was to get people to stop living like that and to live in the heavenly mindset instead because there's such a better future there. So with that, let's take a look at something a little bit brighter. Uh, This, again, we've been looking at a few things that have to do with cities as as sort of symbols of the mind, and this is a a fun little bizarre episode in Swedenborg where cities are actually given as gifts, and we're going to show you it right now. And actually, before we did the research for this show, I had never heard of this one. Um, There's so much in Swedenborg that it's impossible to know it all. Uh, And and I liked it as soon as I heard it. Uh, You know, just tucked away in in, uh, one of his books is this little anecdote about he goes up uh, among a a heaven. It's not how all people in heaven are, but a heaven of people who are particularly innocent. Uh, And he describes what they do in this little clip. Early in the morning, I was guided into one habitation of the inward heaven, where imagery of a manifold variety prevails. And, in fact, to those spoken of before, who had been raised up into a higher habitation. Here they now seem to themselves to build cities, and to give them to others, and even to hide something secret in the city, which they want no one to discover, lest it be done violence. There is a kind of innocence about them, and for this reason they are even protected by little children. I stayed with them for a long time, and I could not but love their life, which was similar to a sweet sleep. They are all childlike and do not know anything of evil, being also in a state of ignorance. So again, not everybody in heaven is like that, but some people are. And I find it interesting that there there are these sort of still boundaries, even in a place as idyllic as that, that it's they still want to, okay, I'm going to somehow, and we, don't, we, we picture that as a big city. We don't know, is it a model city? Is it, what does it mean to see yourself making cities and giving them to each other? But um, 
they even within the cities they had this we're gonna there's something secret here that's hidden so no one can hurt it you know so it's not you know even we see little kids play games it's like okay i'm i'm safe here or or you can't find me or pretend you can't find me that that kind of stuff is still there it's not all just like oh everything's fine there's this like playful boundary setting and also notice that when they're sort of engrossed in this imagination too but their imagination involves giving it's not like oh i imagine that i have the whole universe in my grasp and i'm crushing it it's not oh i imagine i have all the money they're here i'm making this thing and i'm giving it to you and in a way, that's a pretty good representation of the difference between the two mindsets, the heavenly and the hellish. Okay, so we've taken a good tour here, but some of you might be saying, you said you were going to show us strange things. None of that was that strange. Well, we've got this last segment just for you. Uh, this is the strangest thing. I feel like this this could be up there with anything in Swedenborg's writings for its, for its oddity, and we're going to share it with you right now. Okay, so here we are, the Ecclesiastical Turtle, a great band name, uh, and we are going, this is something right out of Swedenborg's book, and not even his Journal of Spiritual Experiences, which is more weird a lot of the time. This is out of True Christianity, uh, so we're going to start reading it. This is 462, uh, and if you guys, you can download these books for free and read the rest of these stories if it intrigues you. He begins, I looked over to a seacoast in the spiritual world. There I saw a magnificent harbor. I went to it and examined it more closely. There were large and small vessels there, carrying merchandise of every different kind. Boys and girls were sitting on them, distributing the wealth to anyone who wanted it. They said, We are waiting to see our beautiful sea turtles. They will soon be coming up out of the sea to us. So a little strange, but let's, let's ramp it up and get a look at what these turtles are actually like. Swedenborg says, Then I saw the sea turtles, large and small. They had little baby sea turtles riding on their shells, looking around at the surrounding islands. The parent turtles had two heads. One head was large and covered in a shell like the shell on their body, which made them look reddish. The other head was small, like a normal turtle's head. They would retract this smaller head into the front part of their body. By an unseen method, they would also put this smaller head inside their larger head. I kept my focus, however, on their large reddish heads. I noticed that these heads had faces like those of human beings. They were talking with the boys and girls on the seats in the boats and licking the children's hands. Then the boys and girls began stroking the sea turtles and giving them things, rich, wonderful food, also expensive gifts such as silk for clothing, cypress wood for building material, purple cloth for beautification, and scarlet dye for dyeing cloth. So just to recap, we have ourselves a bunch of children on boats that say, hey, we're waiting to see our sea turtles, and we have two-headed sea turtles with a human face and a small head that can be put inside the larger head, and then the kids are giving uh, clothing material and money and wood to the turtles. Uh, so, is that good? Why? Why would Swedenborg see something like this? And the explanation here sort of shows why all this weirdness happens, not just for this one, but for all of them. It's the nature of representation in the spiritual world. And Swedenborg describes it right after that in True Christianity 462. He says, When I saw these things, I was eager to know what they meant. 
because I knew that everything visible in the spiritual world is a correspondence and represents something spiritual having to do with feelings and thoughts. So yeah, he knows, well, I just saw something really weird. What does that mean? Then people began talking to me from heaven saying, you know what the harbor represents and also the boats and the boys and girls on them. You don't know what the sea turtles represent. So he's not going to tell us here, but if you go in his writings, you can see sort of general meanings for those kinds of things. I'm assuming that's what they mean. But here we're really focusing on the turtles, the two-headed sea turtles. They continued, the sea turtles represent members of the clergy in the spiritual world, who keep their faith completely separate from goodwill and its good works. These beliefs are represented by the small head they put into the front of their body, or else insert into the large head when they are talking to lay people. They don't use their small head to talk to lay people. They use the large one that looks like it has something of a human face on the front of it. They base their conversation with lay people on the Word, uh, discussing love, goodwill, good works, the Ten Commandments, and repentance. From the Word, they quote practically everything it has to say on these subjects. He goes on. Then they insert the small head into the large one. In their small head, they privately don't believe all the things just mentioned. They privately believe that all the things just mentioned don't have to be done for God's sake or for the sake of salvation, but just for the sake of the public and private benefit. Because they say smooth and elegant things based on the word about these subjects, especially about the good news of the gospel, the actions of the Holy Spirit and salvation, they appear to the people who hear them to be people of beauty and of greater wisdom than anyone else in the world. This is why you saw that they were given luxuries and expensive items by the boys and girls sitting on the seats in the boats. These, then, are the people you saw represented as sea turtles. In your world, they are hard to differentiate from others, except for the fact that they think they are wiser than everyone else and laugh at others. Even people who have a similar view of faith as their own, but don't share in their mysteries. They wear a particular insignia on their clothing that they use to identify themselves as set apart from others. So, in the language of correspondences of the spiritual mind, this bizarre scene of sea turtles and kids and riches is a commentary or a representation of corrupt church people, of corrupt religious leadership, which was rampant in Swedenborg's time. And actually, a lot of his mission was to try to correct the harm this was doing to people. So you see that that the two different heads are like these two different mindsets. They have the little one, which is what they really think, that, you know, all this religious stuff we talk about, really we just do it to benefit ourselves, but they kind of put that into this bigger head that they have, which is, oh, we talk about being good and loving and all that, but we don't really walk the talk. And the people, the, the, the children who are people who are gullible enough to be led along by it, are giving them all this valuable stuff because they think, oh, you're so great, you know this stuff, uh, not recognizing that they're being deceived. So that's, so even something as strange as a turtle that has two heads and baby turtles on top and a human face on one of them can stick a head inside the other head. It has like a really potent message about the damage that religious hypocrisy can do. So that's the kind of symbolism we're working with. And it's weird, just like dreams are weird. We have very strange dreams, uh, just like nature is weird. All these bizarre things that happen, but this is the language. This is how it works. Some things obviously weirder than others. We went through this episode trying to find weird stuff, and hopefully you agree that we found it. If you think it was weird, or if you think it was entertaining or fun or insightful, please give us a thumbs up. I mean, this video, just click like on it right now. That helps us out. If you really want to help us out and you want to help yourself get these videos, click your subscribe button right there. That would hook us and you up. Uh, Okay, 
And then finally, we're going to take questions and comments. Whatever you guys had as a reaction to this, we're going to take a look at it. Quick video break to get ready, and then we'll be on to our live segment of the, or live question and answer segment of the show. Here we go. All right, we got a lot of questions today, as as we should, with a, a show as weird as the one we just did. So I'll try my best to say something um, entertaining or smart about each of them, uh, or infuriating. We'll see what I do. Okay, let's take a look. Our first question comes from Lee, YouTube. Did Swedenborg see his own soul spirit as it exists in the afterlife? Ooh, good question. Um, I believe the most potent description of that would be... And he, he actually had a journal of dreams uh, that he sort of before his before and in the transition during his uh, movement from being a regular guy like the rest of us to having these lucid spiritual experiences. In there is a lot about him, where he descri- he has all of his battle. He he sees um, as I think I've mentioned on this show he sees a black dog that represents his pride in his own intelligence. You know, that he was a pretty smart guy, pretty accomplished, and as such, thought he was super cool, and this was causing problems, and it came to him as this black dog in his dreams. He would see, like, himself on the edge of a cliff. Uh, He had, like, romantic encounters that sort of showed the nature of his mind. So there was, like, a lot going on in that. Um, Once he'd gotten through that, he got really sort of, he tried to take himself out of the picture and was mostly describing other things that he saw. But that's probably where the most of his description is. So great question, thanks. Okay, next one. This is from the Phoenix YouTube. Hi. Hey, how's it going? I was wondering, when I die, will I exist in a subconscious state, or will I be as aware as I am now? Uh, Answer, neither uh, more aware than you are now. As Swedenborg describes it, yeah, we we do, we are conscious and more conscious, meaning uh, this, we're, we're sort of in a daze relatively while we're here, that things are much more clear in the afterlife, our senses are clearer, we can think more sharply, we can speak more sharply. So, if 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 Swedenborg is to be believed, and if a lot, you know, pretty much every near-death experience is to be believed, you are going to be awake and conscious, and hopefully, you know, at least having a better time than we all have here. I mean, this life can be a grind, but things seem to take a dramatic turn upward in the next one. So, great question. Thanks very much. Uh, let's take a look at our next one. Chrysanen. YouTube. Hi. Will I really meet up again with my mom, dad, and pets? Uh, yes. Answer is yes. I Swedenborg doesn't discuss pets directly. Other near-death experiences have reported pets. Uh, mom and dad, Swedenborg does talk about whole families reuniting, getting to see each other. That, that In this world of spirit, this sort of area that you first go to, everybody can mingle with everyone. And the way the spiritual world works, thought brings presence. So you think about mom or dad, and you can see them. Uh, of course, if you don't, there's someone you don't want to see, uh, that will push you away from them. So uh, unless it's better for both of you, you, you won't meet up with people who you have an aversion to. So great. There we go with that. Thanks very much. Let's take a look at the next one. Blender. Hey, Blender, YouTube. Did Swedenborg ever run into anyone that lived on another planet while on the other side? Yes, he certainly did. Uh, he had, there's a book he wrote that is, hmm, it used to be translated Earths in the Universe. It is now translated um, 
it might be called Other Planets now, um, where he can sort of consolidates his material on, he, he says that the heaven in the human race, what he calls the human race, he says, is made up from, of people from many planets. That it's not just, uh, you know, if we want to get weirder, it's not just, you know, not just human beings on this world. It doesn't mean that they're necessarily biologically the same as we are, but they, he, he calls them human as well. Um, and that's a show I would love to do. Uh, he has some material also in Secrets of Heaven about his encounters with people, uh, exoplanets, but also plant, local planets in the solar system. Um, so there's a lot that I'd want to talk about there. But the short answer, yes, he totally did. Okay, um, next one. This is We Are Not Alone Here, YouTube. When we pass, can we travel to anywhere in this world? If so, is it just like this world where it is fully inhabited with spirits, humans? Uh, yeah, I mean, you can travel... Travel, as he was saying, is instant. So I would think you would be... I mean, it does seem like there's some limitations. There are certain barriers people can't cross if their mind isn't ready for it. As far as, you know, this particular planet, being able to see the physical world, um, it's not... There has to be a mechanism that, sweet, you know, Swedenborg says spirits can't necessarily see through our eyes, but they could see through his eyes. But then there's this sort of the spiritual world represent... I mean, there's a spiritual world equivalent of the physical world, so you could go around that. I don't know. The answer is I don't know 100%. Um, but I sure would, man, I would love to travel even this planet, and I want to see, I want to go see like, you know, dinosaurs and ecosystems of the past and sort of see how life progressed. I would love to see that. So my answer is hopefully we can do stuff like that. All right, next one. This is from YouTube again. Jim, YouTube. Hi, Curtis. Hey, Jim. Thanks for watching. Did Swedenborg ever write about past lives? Did he believe in rebirth? Thanks. Um, no, he did not write about past lives. Swedenborg seems to be seems to believe in a continuation of life, but it moves in phases forward rather than cycling back. Meaning, you have uh, you know the phase in the womb here, which is a preparation for this physical life, and then the physical life is sort of a womb or preparation for the spiritual life. And he, with, with the spiritual world, which he says you go into and you don't come back, in his worldview, to the physical world. However, he does say that you continue to grow and change and evolve, but it just happens on the spiritual side. He has a passage that says, every phase that we're in is just like an egg to the next phase, meaning like a, you know, the difference between an egg and a bird is the difference between what we are right now, no matter where we are, and what we're going to become. However, he doesn't say that you you come back here. Interestingly, all this, you know, people have tons of experiences of past lives and, um, and, and memories of things on this planet, and his explanation is that, you know how before in this show I was talking about that we are in spiritual community, and that because spirits can see things in our memories, uh, that makes our cities in their world, this is so crazy stuff, that makes our cities in their world, he says that past life memories is the reverse phenomenon, that that's when we're actually getting things from the memories of the spirits that we're associated with. So, if somebody did live however, 70 years ago, and they have had their life and they're associated with us across the veil, we can remember things. Sometimes there can be a leakage and we can remember their things. So, I know everybody's got, people have strong opinions about the reincarnation thing, so if that doesn't jive with you, sorry. Uh, I hope you'll keep watching. Who knows what the truth is? Swedenborg said that it was that, though, that we continue to progress in one direction rather than, than looping back. Thanks, Jim. Great question. Uh, okay, let's take a look at our next one. 
Joseph on YouTube, do four of the five houses of light correspond in any way to the spiritual compass that was referred to in an earlier videos, with a young child existing in the northeast and slowly moving clockwise? Ooh, that's a great point. So that's that's the one, that's the one that I was mentioning. Um, the, the one I said we had an earlier video where there's moving around that yeah, we had in brief we had this little video about because Swedenborg describes where our spirit moves in the spiritual world relative to the directions and that's a great I would think so if there was five of them and I would think the one in shadow is is sort of out it's not a point on the compass um, generally the east and, and, and yes it is because the light around those temples mirrored different times of day. You had um, sort of the fiery one, which he said is like dawn, then there's one that's like noon, like evening, and like dusk. And that those, the different directions, the east corresponds to morning, corresponds to heaven, then uh, the south is midday, west is evening, and north is night, or something like that. But yes, so I hadn't even thought of that, but it's true. I, I like it, Joseph, thanks very much. Okay, Next one, this is Barb, YouTube. Curtis, can you explain the difference between continuous levels and distinct levels from something I read in Heaven and Hell? Yes. I was just reading Divine Providence today, and it seems like my life is only Swedenborg, but I was reading Divine Providence today, and he was saying, it's so important that we learn what the difference between levels is, and I was like, oh, he talks about levels so much, but I believe what you're talking about in Heaven and Hell is um, continuous and distinct. Okay, so continuous is like a ramp where it kind of goes from one and gets to another. Distinct is like stairs where this level you can't get to this level from. He says that it's super important to understand that there's those two different things. Sort of like, um, you know, if you have a, a light on a dimmer, it can go from from real dim to real bright, but it can't turn into blue light no matter where you are. That's a whole different socket or a whole different switch. That's what he's talking about there, as I understand it. So uh, hopefully that answers your, your question. Okay, uh, oh, and so that would apply to that there are certain levels like certain levels of intelligence go up, but there's a whole other level that you can't just build this one up to. You have to be elevated into the next one in order to understand. So that's what he's talking about. Okay, let's take a look at the next one. This is Guy on YouTube. Curtis, I've read many near-death experiences where people are taken into space and they feel a sort of heaven there. I've also had dreams of being taken in the space-like place. Is heaven in space? Um, I appreciate you sharing a little bit about your dreams. And yes, I have read a lot of people will say that you know they were first sort of hovering around Earth and then they started like zooming uh, up and out into the universe. Um, the way that Swedenborg describes it is that it's not that heaven is in space, meaning you can travel there. He said just like with our last question that heaven is a, a distinct level away from the physical. You can't go somewhere in the physical and then you reach the spiritual. However like we were saying, correspondences, that, that all the stars in heaven are representative of the angelic communities. So, And the phenomena you see in heaven, the sun is representative of God. So the stuff we're seeing in space is the physical equivalent. So that if you're in a dream or a near-death experience that you're seeing a representation of heaven as you're feeling heaven. You know what I mean? He even talks about, in the spiritual world, being able to see the communities in heaven like stars on earth. And that he said to angels, hey, do you think there's as many communities in heaven as there are stars here? And that they were very interested, but didn't seem to know the answer. So does that make sense that that it's not like it's, oh, you could send the Apollo, whatever we're up to now, and eventually you hit heaven, but that 
that there is an equivalent phenomena in the spiritual world, and also the thing we're seeing physically is a representation. So it's connected to heaven through a discrete degree, like I was talking about, um, meaning heaven can act and shows up as this stuff. It shows up as being represented by this light that we see in the sky, these stars, that kind of stuff. So uh, hopefully that makes sense. Great, great question. Thank you very much. Let's take a look at another one. I'm going to get through these. Uh, Antonio, YouTube, has Swedenborg been channeled recently by mediums? If so, what do you think he would say about your programs? Thanks. He would say, um, please, please leave my (laughs) writings alone. (laughs) You are destroying them. No, I don't know. Uh, I think, uh, so I, I don't know much about Swedenborg being channeled recently by mediums. I would have to look around more for that um and and like have to see it like and yeah are they is it someone pretending to be swedenborg not the medium but the spirit or something i don't know as far as this program i would hope he would be into it because he was adamant about trying to spread the message when he wrote it uh that he was you know basically sacrificed his reputation his finances everything to try to get this message out so the idea that that now there's this amazing technology that can allow what he wrote to get out to you know hundreds of thousands of people, a couple, well, we got like a few million views on this channel, get to all those people um, by, you know, so quickly, uh, and that we can do this. He talks all the time about spiritual representations of things, that they can represent concepts visually, and that we can kind of do that with technology. We want to talk about something, we can have a video appear on screen. So I would hope he would be excited about that. And, you know, yeah, we try to stay as true to his message as we can. So hopefully he would feel like there was integrity in the way we're presenting it. So I would hope he's excited. Maybe not. And if so, I will apologize to him profusely when when I see him. So thanks, Antonio. I'm going to take a look at another one. This is Me Want Music Now, 88. Did Swedenborg see his own house in this world? Oh, great question. Unfortunately, I'm going to have a poor answer to it, which is a no. I don't, I don't think I ever recall Swedenborg mentioning his own house. Or if he did, he didn't label it as his own house. But it would be interesting to think. I know that, you know, he loved gardening. That he was, And he had like a little sort of garden house that he would sit in in the summer and write this stuff. He would go back in the main house in the winter. But maybe something like that. I don't know. I don't know if it would be different or whatever, but it's a great question. Okay, let's take a look at another one. Um, Blender, YouTube. How come he didn't see any planes or cars? Um, One thing I heard in a near-death experience was that the spiritual world is like a couple decades ahead of this world. Meaning it's not like since from time immemorial this the spiritual world has had all the technology that we have that even there things come through whatever mechanism we're getting here that allows us to build on technology similar things are are happening there i remember this one like danny and no not danny and brinkley maybe george ritchie wrote this near-death experience about how he saw this building in his near-death experience where there's all these people working on this thing, and it was such this amazing big building. And like 50 years later, he saw like a nuclear reactor or something. I don't know if it was that, but a, that same building was built here on Earth. So that's one thing I do want to say. There is a passage in his spiritual experiences where he seems to describe a modern skyscraper. He, he says, hey, I saw this building. It was so tall you couldn't see the top, which there were no, nothing equivalent to that in his day. He said, you, there, are, there are little houses within it that you can go from one house to another without having to leave the building, which sounds a lot like apartments. He also says, 
they had representations on their walls where they could show things, which I take to mean like screens, like TV screens. So I'm not trying to say, look, Swedenborg saw this stuff, so that proves he was right. But those are a couple of my thoughts on why he wasn't seeing planes and cars and the little bit that he did see. Okay, another one. This is Joseph on YouTube. What is the significance of the four points of the spiritual compass individually? Where does each cardinal direction originate from, and how do you find true north in the spirit realm? Yeah, so it all has to do with relation to the Lord, or to God, that everybody is, uh, um, everything is measured in relation to whether it's facing God or not, and that actually the east is facing toward God, because um, like like the sun rises in the east, and so how to um, how to find your north is the more truth you have in your mind, the more you can tell the directions, the more you can tell what way you're facing. Because people who are facing down and and out, you know, people in this this sort of hellish mindset, they don't know what's going on. They don't know where anyone else is facing or anything. But people who are more and more have their heads on straight, they see everything for what it is and in heaven's light. And then, and I think in an earlier question, I talked about the four points of the spiritual compass and, and in that video you had seen. So I'll leave that one for now. Um, but so there's one thought that I, that I had on it. Okay. Um, we had better wrap it up soon here where we're getting long. Uh, okay. We got four more. I'm gonna get through them now and then, uh, and then we'll get on to next week. Okay. So, I really appreciate these comments. It's not like I'm like, oh, I don't want to answer them. Uh, I just want to be respectful of everyone's time, but I don't, sometimes I don't want to stop. I'm like, let's keep going, let's keep going. So, we will. Four more, we'll do it. Uh, This is from Lee, YouTube. I spend 90% of my time alone. Me and my great friend, my dog. So, I'm not totally alone. Well, I spend my time in heaven like I do in this state of life. I want to say, your dog sounds cool. Um, and I have a dog, and dogs are very nice to hang out with. As far as whether or not you will be alone, I don't... I think that people are generally less alone in heaven, because as Swedenborg describes earlier in that, um, one of the, uh, one of the accounts that we had, uh, you find this community of people that, these people I fit with totally, you know, like this is, there's not like social anxiety. This is great. Um, it's not to say that if you don't like being alone, you, I mean, he, he does talk about people that live relatively alone and that they're great and happy. So I can't know where it's going to end for you. It depends. It depends on why you're alone. If you're alone because you just can't find people who you really vibe with, um, then that uh, is then that can be overcome. You know, if there's a part of you that wants to be less alone if you had the right people, but if you like, you know, just you and your dog and God, then I don't see why you couldn't do that. And maybe you have periods where you're seeing a lot of people, periods where you're not. So that's what I thought. Okay, actually, so that's that. There's actually only one more new question I I miscalculated before. We're going to do it here to wrap things up. Okay, so this last one, Blender YouTube. Do you think if Michelangelo was allowed the perception Swedenborg had, the results would have been different? Do you think Swedenborg's technical background got in the way? Um, I think that, well, I heard something, and I have no idea where the person got this, but that Leonardo da Vinci um, was approached, you know, spiritually to do what Swedenborg did, but he refused. Um, I don't know if that's true or not, but I, I do think that 
you certainly, the Swedenborg was fashioned as a tool, and you see his mind in what he wrote. So certainly, if it had happened through someone else, you would have had different ways of talking. I think it's a good deal to have Swedenborg as the one, because even though his stuff can come off as technical, because he was so meticulous and understood the philosophical, technical side of it, he could give us all the information we need. And now it's up to the rest of us to illustrate it and flesh it out. And that's what you have so many great poets and writers and painters uh, have been influenced by Swedenborg. You know, that that's the kind of thing you can take the raw data he has and expound on it, whereas if we didn't give us that in the beginning and was spent more time just describing the feel of things, we wouldn't be able to do that as well the other way around. That's my thought, but certainly it could have been different. God works through means. God works through the things in our brains that we learn. Um, so you certainly get a different, nobody's mind is just like someone else's mind. And the stuff we output in the world, the service we can do to each other in the world, the service we can do in the afterlife that brings joy to everyone is unique to us because of our unique minds. So that's what I want to say. Thank you guys so much. Great questions. Great episode because of you. Uh, if you want to help this experience continue, you want to help us continue to be able to make shows like this and make them better and better, please consider donating. Uh, we we have a five to one grant right now. Donate a dollar, we'll get five extra dollars. That's how it works. So even a little donation can go a long way. Click this banner here or open a link down in the description. It's just an easy PayPal thing. It's tax deductible. We're a legit nonprofit organization. Twenty bucks will get you a membership for the entire year, uh, and that will help us do what we do. Okay, next episode. So we just had this cool time where we were doing questions, and I was trying to get through them all. Next episode, we're going to try something where it's going to be all questions. I'm going to have a panel of good, smart Swedenborg people here, and we're going to get, because people have been asking so many good questions, not only live, but throughout the week afterwards. And so what we're going to do is try to answer all questions. We're going to have your live questions, questions people have been asking recently. So if you think of ones you really want us to spend good time on, write them as a comment to one of the videos, send them to us, email them to us. We're going to put that together. So next week, it's going to be the all audience episode, and we should get into some really good stuff there. So see you next Monday, and I hope you have a good week in the meantime.